What a week. What a strange roller coaster of a week. I'm really tempted to suggest that we all get in a comfortable position, take an Advil to deal with cable news induced headaches, and sit in silence for the next 10 minutes because there's just been enough talking lately. And you won't hurt my feelings if you do want to do that. If you want to turn the sound off for the duration of the sermon, put your feet up and open your heart to God. But for those who want to stick with it for a moment, here we go. Our story from the Hebrew Bible today is from the book of Joshua. And it begins with Joshua summoning the people of Israel to a mountaintop and reminding them of their history, what God has done for them. Once, Joshua says, you were not a people. Your ancestors were wandering in the desert, far away without land of their own, worshiping other gods, no identity, no purpose. Then God, the true God, invited your ancestor Abraham to go on an extraordinary journey. Abraham and his wife Sarah, by faith, followed God out of the land of the Euphrates to the promised land of Canaan. By faith, though they were too old to become parents, they miraculously gave birth to a people. Joshua then recounts how that people fell into slavery and how God rescued them, how even after freedom was achieved, they had to wander in the desert for 40 years, how Joshua led Israel from the desert across the Jordan into the land that God had promised and defeated their enemies, making a place for them in the land that God had given. Joshua reminds the people of Israel of this story, of God's faithfulness to them over generations and generations, how God had provided for them and given them everything they needed, how their own faith had wavered, but God had never forsaken them. And then Joshua says to the people, here we are in the promised land at last. You are the ones who get to inherit all that God promised your ancestors. A people, a land of their own, a purpose. God has kept God's promises. We've made it. But now Joshua says, you have a choice. You have a choice of how to live in this new land that God has promised. Will you worship false idols, the false gods that your ancestors worshiped in the desert, the false gods that your neighbors here in the promised land revere, or will you worship the God that's taken you on this extraordinary, painful, joyful journey and has finally brought you home? Joshua and the people of Israel are standing on a high mountain where they can look behind them to the desert where they wandered for 40 years or look the other direction toward the green and gentle hills of their new land. Joshua is asking them how they will choose to live in that new place, whether they'll recommit to following God or go their own way. Of course, we're thousands of years and thousands of miles away from Joshua. But it strikes me that we are at a similar moment of transition, a moment when we're invited to consider the same kind of choice. As a nation, we have been on quite a ride 
over the last four years. We are a politically mixed parish, and that means some of us woke up this morning grateful and thrilled and hopeful, and some of us are disappointed and frustrated and afraid. But however we feel about it, we share together this great moment of transition. And transition is the time when we look back at what has been and forward to what will be and decide how we'd like to live in the season to come. Joshua invites us to choose this day whom we will serve, the God who brought us to freedom or our own private idols. I assume that none of you are particularly tempted to worship the storm gods of the ancient Near East. But idol worship isn't that, really. An idol is just anything that comes between us and God. Money, of course, is a classic. Security, ambition, fear, pleasing others, appearance, status, anything, even the best things, can become idols when they get in the way of love of God and love of neighbor. As the great theologian John Calvin reminds us, the human heart is a factory of idols. We are very good at giving people and things a power in our lives that only God should have. I invite you to consider for a moment what your idols might be. What in your life gets in the way of your ability to love and serve God and your neighbor? What has power in your life that only God should have? I took a moment last night to write down some of my idols, and it was sort of stark to see them written on paper. And it was really meaningful to acknowledge the power that I had given these idols, a power that should belong only to God. So the question before us is this, who will we serve during this new season in our national life, God or our idols? When Joshua asked that same question, the people of Israel were quick to respond. Of course, of course, we choose the Lord, the God of our ancestors. We choose the one true God. Joshua's response to the people is sort of strange. You cannot serve the Lord, he says, for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not your, forgive your transgressions or your sins. Nancy Walcott, who is our lector today, pointed out how disturbing this is, how far this is from the picture of a loving, forgiving God that we hear about in the rest of Scripture. And as I reread and read this passage again and again, I remembered how in some branches of Orthodox Judaism, when someone comes to a rabbi asking to convert, the tradition is that the rabbi is supposed to turn them away. And if they come back again, still desiring conversion, the rabbi says, no, 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 you're not serious, you don't really want this, and turns them away again. And then if they come back a third time, the rabbi turns them away yet again, saying, you're not ready for this. Our Lord, our God, is a jealous God, an unforgiving God. And only if the convert is adamant and keeps coming back 
are they accepted to begin the process of conversion? I wonder if the idea behind Joshua's response and the rabbi's response is the same. It's not that God is harsh or unforgiving or unwelcoming. It's that we as human beings tend not to understand the weight of the commitments that we're making. No, 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 Joshua is saying, you are not ready to worship the Lord alone. You are not ready to give up your idols. You're not ready to give your life to God. No, 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 the rabbi says, you're not ready for this faith to turn your life upside down. You don't realize how serious this is. Think about this, Joshua and the rabbis are saying. Think about the commitment you're making and make it with intention and seriousness, with your eyes open. Because for the people of Israel, giving up idols would mean that they would always be apart from, different than their neighbors in the promised land. They would never quite belong. And for us, giving up our idols will also be a real sacrifice. We live in a world that whatever we say worships money, power, apparent strength. To give up our idols and to put God first would mean choosing to live in a way that puts us at odds with the world around us. It means choosing vulnerability, humility, and service in a world that says it values those things but really does not. Joshua and the rabbis remind us to count the cost and to be willing to pay that price, to step out in faith. In scripture, during times of transition, the people of Israel were often asked to renew their covenant with the Lord, to choose again who they would serve, God or the idols of their hearts. They were asked to renew and recommit themselves to the God who is love. As a nation, we are also in a time of turmoil and transition. Let's also use this time to consider who we want to serve in the season to come. Let's take some time to think about what might have become an idol for us, what we have given too much power to, what we've begun inadvertently to serve, and let us turn from those idols to God who is faithful and trustworthy and loving and will be right by our side through whatever is ahead. Amen.